When police seize illegal drugs, overdose deaths go up. That's the counterintuitive finding from a new study published in the American Journal of Public Health that focused on two years of data from Indianapolis. The report found that when law enforcement officials take someone's drugs, the user often seeks out other, less safe supply chains, buying products that may be contaminated or much stronger than they're used to. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. In a 7-2 ruling Thursday, the Supreme Court upheld the right of Medicaid beneficiaries to sue states that violate their right to access care. The case, Health and Hospital Corporation of Marion County v. Tulevsky, centered on a woman's lawsuit against her husband's nursing home after it used chemical restraints that worsened his dementia. But the ruling has much broader implications, including for people seeking abortions and people with disabilities. The Senate Finance Committee heard from witnesses on Thursday that healthcare consolidation is driving up costs and worsening care for patients. While no big fix was identified, experts at the hearing called for the implementation of site-neutral payments, more data transparency, and stronger antitrust enforcement. And HHS Secretary Javier Becerra doubts the Biden administration's ability to replicate Operation Warp Speed success in developing the next generation of COVID vaccines. Carmen Pond provides key insights into his skepticism. Hi, Ali. Thank you for having me. So we are coming off of our big healthcare summit this week and a major topic we kept hearing people talk about all day long were the funding constraints imposed by the recent debt ceiling deal that President Biden and House Republicans and all the other players came to that agreement recently. But it's about how that deal will impact health programs and healthcare going forward. So what concerns did you hear officials and lawmakers share at the summit on that front? People were concerned that the flat funding over the next few years is going to impact people's health. One concern that uh, we heard, at least in one of the panels that I moderated, was about how the work requirements in the SNAP program and the flat funding might impact the health of people of color because fewer people will have access to food. And also if there's a bigger need among mothers and children for the WIC program, there won't be enough funding to cover their needs. So there's definitely a concern that access to things that are essential for people's healthcare needs, such as food, going to be impacted by the debt ceiling agreement that was recently passed. It seems like people are worried both about what impact the cuts will have right now, but also looking out down the line. And so on that front, we heard HHS Secretary Becerra sort of downplay expectations that the big success of Operation Warp Speed and coming up with the COVID shots that helped so many of us come out of lockdown won't be replicated, that we won't be able to see a second Operation Warp Speed develop next generation vaccines that are more effective against new variants, etc. So why is he concerned about that? It again boils down to funding. So the sort of like successor of Operation Warp Speed, which is now called Project Next Gen, is trying to help develop the new generation of COVID vaccines and treatments that should be basically better than what we have today. So for example, inhaled vaccines that could potentially stop transmission of the virus or vaccines that would work against more coronaviruses and could potentially prevent another pandemic in the future or that, you know, are in some ways better than what we have at the moment 
moment and that we all know. But the main reason why the HHS secretary downplayed expectation is that he said Operation Warp Speed had, he said trillions, but Operation Warp Speed actually had about 18 billions to work with at the height of the pandemic, but we didn't have anything against this new virus at the time. While Project Next Gen has about 5 billion. So obviously that's a lot less than Operation Warp Speed had. And obviously there's now a lot less focus on that, but that doesn't mean the virus has gone away. And the Biden administration and HHS and the other agencies involved in Project Next Gen want to make sure that we keep coming up with better and better tools against this virus to keep it at bay, to treat people, and ultimately to prevent people from getting sick and eventually, hopefully, prevent it from being transmitted among people. It just seems like such an example of the kind of boom and bust funding that public health experts always warn about where, you know, when the threat is already here, the government is willing to spend like crazy to address it. But once the immediate threat has passed, it's cut, 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 cut. And there's not a lot of preparation for the future, even though the preparation could potentially save money over time. Indeed. And I heard, and not our summit, but I heard past few months from different epidemiologists and experts who were saying that when it comes to preparing for future pandemics, where again, as you were saying, in the cycle of panic and neglect, where people worry when something new shows up and they do throw money at it. In this case, mostly successfully when new tools coming on the market, but then, you know, everyone relaxes and forgets about it until next time when the cycle repeats itself. And it's been really hard to change that also because people don't want to hear about COVID anymore. And there's so many other competing challenges right now, domestically and internationally. And it's really hard to keep that interest and funding and focus on COVID or in the future, another pathogen that could be really dangerous to people. And along those lines, we heard at the summit about how the public health emergency is over. A lot of these programs are winding down. We have these new cuts being imposed. And that's making the federal government really make some tough choices about what kind of data they collect about what viruses are circulating out there and releasing to the public. I was really interested in what Dr. Ashish Jha said about that and what kind of data is most helpful to people who maybe are immunocompromised or high risk. Indeed, that was very interesting to hear from him. And he sounded very optimistic about the sort of like relevant data that is still out there. So he did say that the number of cases, which is not available anymore because the CDC cannot really collect that data from states now that the public health emergency is over, that actually stopped being relevant. He said about nine to 12 months ago, because most of the people would get tested at home and wouldn't report their results to authorities. So we didn't really, even though we had some numbers, we didn't really know what the real number was. And everyone was kind of aware that they were heavily underestimated because of this home testing mainly. What he did say, which was very interesting, is that a lot of the data they still collect comes from wastewater, and then they could still tell where the virus is circulating. So they still have that surveillance and that sort of like eyes on the ground through this, which is it's very interesting and is different than what we've been used to over the past few years, where, you know, authorities would report the data. Sometimes that wouldn't be accurate. Sometimes there would be huge delays and people would not always have an accurate picture of what was going on in their community so they can take appropriate risks measure. But he did sound that a lot more upbeat. He pretty much suggested that the data that is available, a lot of it from wastewater and surveillance still helps people who need to take precaution, especially people who are immunocompromised, older people who are still at high risk from contracting COVID to make a decision about the kind of risk and exposure they could have in their communities. 
Well, lots of things that we heard this week that we can mull over and keep reporting on. So thank you so much for joining to walk through it. Thank you for having me, Alice. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese is our senior producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. 